turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, obviously, today's a, a little bit different day at the baptism, and then now we will have a communion service, but we want to just take the time and prepare our hearts for that. We have been in the book of Proverbs, so I, I just want to start off with this verse in Proverbs, and we'll, we'll go from there. But uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for just a, a blessing already this morning, uh, just the joy being together, the joy of hearing your work in uh, the Bothwell's lives. We thank you for what you're doing there. We do pray that you would continue to bless them. Bless our time now, Lord, in your word as we've come together. Prepare our hearts well for uh, what we're about to receive and about to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think all of us would agree that the, uh, the heart is a crucial organ in the human body. I think... We understand that. The doctors try to get us to take care of our hearts and they want us to walk and eat right and uh, exercise and get enough sleep and all of those things for our heart's sake. And we would agree to a certain degree, you know, it's just hard to do sometimes. It's hard to do. We have to think about it. Something that we have to build into our lives that kind of changes our life that that we have to make sure to take care of the heart. The thing, same thing is true in the spiritual world, spiritual life. The, the heart, that, that real person, the, the real person inside, is, is crucial to the spiritual life there in the spiritual realm. The heart is what it's called. And Solomon, that's what he uses it for here, is talking about the real person. That's crucial that we understand that. Now, Solomon has a lot to say. He believes that the heart is very important, and he gives us a lot about the heart. He speaks 69 times. He mentions the hearts in just this one book in Proverbs. And it's what he has to say here is consistent with the rest of Scripture, the rest of the New Testament. Let me show you some of the things that he says. If you turn over to Proverbs chapter 14, just lay some of these things out for you so you can see. Chapter 14, verse 10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and the stranger does not share its joy. We are essentially, the heart is isolated in itself. We can't, I can't really know your pain. As vulnerable as you want to be and as, as outspoken as you want to be, I can't really share that pain. And I can't share that joy either. We are essentially isolated. Christ is the only one that can come into that life and, and share that intimate intimacy of the, of the heart. That's where we live. Well, that's a good perspective to have and a good thing to remember. Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse 30, just a few verses down, he says, A tranquil heart is life to the body, and passion, this is the evil passion, is, is rottenness to the bones. But the tranquil heart, that is a heart that is content, a heart that is happy, a heart that is settled and is content within itself produces life in the body. I don't understand all of that. But when things are, are good in my own life, I know that I experience better health. And these things, I believe, these are uns, untapped truths, folks, that, that we need to, to tap into. We need to realize that. 
we have to address the heart. The heart is important. Solomon sees that. Christ saw the same thing. If you just continue to study this, the heart, Matthew chapter 12, Christ addresses the heart as well. He sees the heart as important. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 34, he says, You brood of vipers, and he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? That is, the condition of their heart is evil. They are evil people. How can they even speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. When it, overflow of the heart. That's the source, is the heart. The good man brings out of good treasure what is good. It's what he produces because he is good within. That heart has been renewed and changed. And then the evil man, he says, brings out, brings out what is evil, treasures of evil. And so what you see there is that the, the heart is the source of all things. And when it comes out, it exposes, it reflects the words and actions all reflect what is in the heart. Now, that's pretty important. If you look over a couple of chapters, chapter 15 and verse 18, Christ goes on in this uh, same understanding of the heart. He says, but the things that produce, uh, that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. That's the evil part. It comes from the heart and that's what defiles the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornication, uh, thefts, false witness, uh, slander, and goes on. So we begin to see the essentials of the heart and the makeup of the heart. Now, here's a conflict, though, that the heart has sometimes. In chapter 15, verse 8, and Jesus, again, is, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And he says that these people, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They say one thing, but their, their heart doesn't match. It doesn't line up. It, it doesn't, doesn't fit. And, and what you have is hypocrisy. And you have conflict within the heart. They're saying one thing and doing another. And, and Jesus said that they are wrong. And of course, in chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus said we are to love the Lord with all our what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know that. There's one other passage, though, and this is in Hebrews chapter 2, and this is read for us earlier, but I, I want to point out just a couple verses in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. This is uh, the author of Hebrews. Again, tells us a little bit about the heart. It says this, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you, so each individual, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart. Somebody that has an evil, unbelieving heart in the church? Yeah. It says, be careful that that doesn't happen. That, and they, they fall away. Eventually, that heart, that unbelieving heart, it's already unbelieving. It's going to fall away. They didn't have salvation to begin with, and it will fall away. He says, be encouraged uh, but, it says verse 13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as you, it is still called day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what sin does. It resides in the heart and it's just deceitful and it will begin to harden, harden that heart. For we, are be, for we have become partners or partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance from firm until the end. 
That shows that evidence of a true and faithful heart will show itself by consistency, by staying in Christ, by loving Christ to the end, firm to the end. So you get the picture there. Now, I lay this out because we need to understand how important the heart is. The heart is crucial, right? From it, we have the deepest love for God, the greatest understanding and profound truths, but at the same time, it is the source of evil. It is the source of deceit, great evil sometimes. It is the place of worship and of the true and living God, but it also is an idol factory where it produces the gods that we worship. It's a dichotomy. It's just something that cannot make sense to us. And men, we need to remember this because we are shepherding a heart. We are shepherding the hearts of our family, our children, our wives, and even our own heart. The heart must be governed. Okay? We need to control. We need to kind of govern that heart. It has to be watched. It has to be examined from time to time. The heart is the core of biblical counseling. We have to always address the heart. And we're somewhat limited in doing that. Now, Paul also knows the importance of the heart. And I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll rest here. We won't turn anymore. We'll rest here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul sees the heart as something that needs to be prepared before you go into this communion time. Before we approach this communion table, this, the heart needs to be prepared for this and, and the principle is then that the believers must, and we see the principle on the, the board here, the believers must routinely examine their heart for hidden sins. And that, that hardened uh, heart, that hardness of that sin produces. So we need to examine our heart to make sure there's no sin and make sure there's no hardness that is there because of that sin. And the question that Paul asks, answers for us is, how do we approach then this communion table? How do we do that? How do we prepare our heart for that? And he gives us three points. We'll move to them obviously quickly. We don't have a lot of time, but I do want to go through these. These things are important. The first thing that Paul says, we have to recognize the need to examine our heart. Look at verse 27. He says this, this is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Therefore, and he's pointing back because he's reminded us that it was Christ's command that we take of the cup and eat of the bread. That was Christ's command. In so doing, we remember his life and we remember his death. And it was commanded. And he says that we, we must do this with caution. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. This unworthy manner is something that's not befitting. It doesn't match up. It's like playing football with a tuxedo on. It just doesn't match, right? Or it's like trying to go swimming with shoulder pads and football helmet on. It doesn't, doesn't fit. And that's what's happening here. And he says, you're guilty of the blood and body of the body and blood of Christ. You're trampling on, essentially trampling on the body and blood of Christ. And some of these Corinthian believers, they were just coming into the, the Lord's table, approaching the Lord's table flippantly. Flippantly. Now, we are Americans. We love our country, right? And we don't like to see our flag touch the ground. 
we would never walk on our flag or take it through the mud or burn our flag. You say, well, it's just cloth. No, that flag represents all that we appreciate about this country, the freedoms that we have, all, that, uh, this, all the elements of this country, and, and we don't desecrate the flag. The same thing here. We, we enter into it unprepared in an unworthy manner. <clears throat> Essentially, we're desecrating all that we hold dear. And we're trampling under the foot of uh, blood and the body of Christ. And, and uh, we need to be aware of that. And so we enter into this very cautiously. Because our actions reflect what's going on in our heart. And so we have to then examine. We have to evaluate what's going on. And let me give you some wrong approaches. Ritualistic. You could just approach it. Ah, this is what we do all the time. This is no big deal. Ho-hum. Tradition kind of thing. That's not the right approach. Lightly. You, you can just come in just not soberly, not cautiously, and, and almost a mockery. Or we could view it wrongly. We could say, we could see this in some... Uh, Denominations do that, that this is absolving us of sin. This is a form of salvation. That's, that's wrong. Bad theology, high view of man, low view of God. That's, those are wrong ways. But the main thing that the Corinthians were doing, and this is probably us too, is that we would come into this and approach this table with unconfessed sin, unrepentant heart. And we have to be careful. Have to be careful of that. So we have to realize we need we need to evaluate ourselves before we come into this. Now, number two, we need to understand the routine process or a procedure of an uh, of a heart exam. When you go to the doctor, now no one likes to go to the doctor unless they unless they see the the need and if they see the need they'll go to the doctor and the doctor will explain. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the process. Here's the process. He's going to give us an exam. This is kind of the understanding what Paul is, is saying here. In verse 28, he says, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For, if, for he who eats of, and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Now, this is serious stuff. And he says, there's a process here that you need to go through. Now, we understand it as a process because he's already mentioned in, at the beginning or at the end of verse 26. He says, for as oft as you do this, at the beginning of the 20, verse 26, as oft as you do this. What is that? The communion table. Every time you do this, he says, examine yourself. That's routine. Okay, that's part of the process, that this needs to be routine. This needs to be a habit of our life. This needs to be something that we do a lot. It's routine. But it's also, he says, but uh, uh, each man must examine himself. This is a personal thing. It's a personal thing. I can't examine your heart. You can't examine my heart. You have a responsibility to do this yourself. It's a self-examination. And then it's an examination. Three little points there. An examination. The word examination means a, a test to prove the heart. The word was used in, in Luke chapter 14. Christ used it when he was talking about uh, this parable. This, uh, this man didn't want to go to this wedding, so he comes up with this excuse. He says, oh, I brought these, I bought these oxen, about five oxen, and I need to go and test them or prove them. 
And you can imagine what that would look like. He would go and maybe check out their teeth, make sure that, that uh, they have good teeth, so he's not going to be uh, trying to, to, to do that. He look at their hoofs. He may even yoke them together, pull them together so that they're, they'll work well with the other oxen, check out their strength. But he's going to test to verify that these are, are worthy, right? Or, or able to do what he expects them to do. That's the idea here. But the, the main word that is used is to judge. We judge rightly. Or those who are under judgment are those who, ones who do not judge rightly. And that's the main idea, is to judge. We judge our heart. We stand over our heart and we compare. We look closely and carefully. We compare God's standards in our life. Whether our thought life or our actions... And we compare the two. Do the two line up? Or is there something off kilter here? Is there something wrong? And, and we have to judge. We have to stand judgment over ourselves. They have to line up. If we don't, then we are liable to be disciplined of the Lord. Lest we fall into judgment. The, the word judgment is krima in the, in the Greek. It just means it's a legal term. It's a legal decision that we are guilty before the Lord. It's a criminal case, and we would have all of the consequences of that decision. So, it comes down to judge yourself or be judged by God. That's the idea. That's the idea. God has a right, of course, to judge us. He upholds His holy, righteous standard. Justice demands that He do so. And so we examine our heart before God or... And we do that before God needs to step in and do some disciplinary action on his part. And he says, now, some of you have already, you're not judging your heart. And some of you are weak. You're still baby Christians. You haven't grown at all. Some of you are sick. And some of you have even died as a result of not examining your heart under the judgment of God. Now, we don't want that, right? We don't want that. We have to examine our own heart. Now, imagine getting a call from the Beckley Water Company. And it says, uh, look, uh, you know, we're having some problems. Your water might be poisoned. Would you mind checking it out for us? Would you go and get a test kit and test the water and see if it's poisoned? Well, I said, wait, wait, no, no. You, you test it at the where? At the source, right? Before it gets to my house... You test it at the source. That's the idea. That's what's going on here. It has to be tested at the source. And where's the source? It's, it's our own heart. It's our own heart. When I was growing up, there's this idea, yeah, if you have any problems with your neighbor, then you need to go see your neighbor, and, and then you can take communion. The idea here is more of, of testing yourself, examining your heart. The sin within your heart. It's not just, no, it's a good thing to be at peace with your neighbor and, and that kind of thing. But we test the heart at the source before the poison gets out. We see, examine our heart for the jealousy before the reaction of jealousy. We, we test our heart for, for bitterness before we respond in bitterness. We test our heart to, to see, is there any pattern of sinful thinking or attitudes that are not humble in nature or motivations that are self-righteous? We test the heart. We go to the source. And then what do we do? Then what do we do? He says, examine yourself 
And in doing so, he is to eat and drink. You didn't say, well, what if you find sin? Obvious answer is you confess it. That's what believers do. We just confess our sin and get it out of the way. We confess, and then he says, and then eat. Eat of the bread. You say, well, no, I've got sin in my life. I'm going to not do it. No. No. Don't live in your sin. You get rid of that sin. Get that sin out. And then eat. Then eat. Eat of the bread. Eat of the bread. And drink of the cup. So it's a routine process. It's something that we should be doing every time we approach this table. We do so quarterly here at Daniel's Bible Church. Every quarter. We need to come before this table with an examined heart. And number three, what are the spiritual benefits then of heart examination? Verse 31 says this, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. But essentially, the Lord does, if the Lord has to step in and discipline us, that's the idea, judge us, there's judgment, the word is, is discipline to train us or to correct behavior, and He does so by punishment or maybe some education, and it's only for our good, He's saying. It's for good. If the Lord has to step in and do that judgment, it's for our good. If He doesn't do that, then what happens? then we're placed out of the church into the world and we're still under the condemnation that the world is going to receive. And the key here, here's what we have to do. The key is we have to judge rightly. We have to come before our own heart and judge it accurately, rightly. Now, we can come and and say, well, just use the world's standards, just kind of judge it the way the world would judge, and it's just externally. Oh, he looks good, looks good on the outside, he's a good moral man. We don't examine the heart or anything, we just look on the outside. And as long as you stay out of the news and stay out of jail, you're okay. That's not it at all, is it? Or we can examine it from a psychological standpoint, using psychological terms, and as long as my personality fits the personality profile that I'm supposed to fit in, I'm okay. If I have healthy self-esteem, I, uh, I'm on the path of self-actualization, and terminology matters. The world would say, just be yourself. The Bible says, be holy as God is holy. That's the reality. Now, we fit under God's standards. We have to use God's standards to evaluate our own lives. And we have to speak truth to ourselves. And sometimes that's hard to do. Because we don't like what we see. But our understanding has to line up with God's Word. Our standards have to line up with God's Word. What does that produce then? Look at this. This is so good. In, verse, uh, in the middle of verse 31, he says, If you judge rightly... We would not be judged. Now think about that. We're not under God's judgment. Not under God's condemnation at all. In fact. Solomon. I love what Solomon would say. Solomon says. The righteous are as bold as a lion. What is coming before. Standing before the Lord. And knowing our sin. Confessing our sin. Getting that sin out of the way. What does that produce in our life? It produces a, a boldness. It also produces a joy. And a contentment within our life, within our heart, and it produces ultimately healing to our life. It's a wonderful thing. 
And, and we can know, we can approach these things. We see sin, we confess that sin and get that sin out of our life. And we can know and settle into our mind that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And folks, that's wonderful. That's freeing. That's freeing. So just by way of application, we can look at the differences in David's life and and maybe even Paul's life. But in in David's life, before had not confessed his sin, his his life or his body was just wasting away. Read some of the Psalms. But afterwards, and he pleaded to the Lord, Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. Peter, he went away and wept bitterly, but then Christ restored him and and forgave him of that sin. He confessed that, and then he had hope. He was a man with hope and courage. You can see that in Paul's life as well. The confidence, the contentment of heart. When we stand before the Lord, our God, our Creator, pure in heart, and then folks, there, there's confidence and boldness and hope and joy and contentment in our life. And that's a wonderful thing. So as we approach this Lord's table, we do so. We recognize the need of of examining our heart. We we understand the routine process of examining our heart. And we need to see the the benefits of examining our heart. And the believers, folks, we need to routinely, routinely examine our heart for sin and the hardness that sin produces in our heart. We have to be careful. We have to approach this table with an examined heart. And that's what I want to do so right now. We have just a little bit. I know we're going to go a little bit long. It won't take too long. If someone could go and get the uh, teachers from downstairs, that would be great. Some of the, uh, one of the deacons, if they can go and just let them know that we are going to be having a communion table here but right now for you let's prepare our hearts okay let's prepare our hearts before the lord this is a sobering time this is also a joyous time so let's prepare our hearts father we thank you for this word for this word that knows our hearts and knows the dangers that are there And this word that warns us to prepare our hearts, to come into something so sobering and so sublimely. Um, Lord, if there's any wicked way found in us, if there's any sin, anything that would cause a relationship with you to be hindered, may we get rid of that now. Lord, we thank you for the blood and the body of Christ. I pray that you would bless our time. Lord, know our hearts. And Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of sin. The freeing, uh, freeing element of, of just that experience of knowing that our sin is under the blood of Christ. Lord, we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.